becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the songs. Are we ready? We are so ready yeah. for something. Something. Yeah. We'll see what it get. See what goes down. <laughs> see what goes up or down or something. To the shores. <laughs> to the shores. I, I think we've agreed. We've settled on on that as our. Uh, mm-hmm. What is it? A uh, intro key. I want to say keyframe. Key. I think I've been phrase. coding too much. Key <laughs> phrase. Key phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about something. Um, you know, light. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're going to attempt this. This, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty. Um, I don't know. We've been getting into this with a lot of different areas and listening to different people um, and reading a lot of stuff on this. Uh, it gets really confusing, but I think we're we're gonna we're gonna kind of try to 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 jump into this, and it'll probably be something we're gonna have to like over a few episodes, kind of tackle bits and pieces of but right so we're talking about critical race theory Mm -hmm. so we ended up a bit uh, talking a bit about it on the last episode and we're going to try to go as deep as we can um i think it's worth explaining why we're going to discuss this topic (laughs) why that's that's a good question (laughs) yeah um well it's something that has been sort of creeping into the mainstream as an ideology and you, I think people have heard the term critical race theory, but I think for me, the reason I want to talk about it is because, um, the white house made a stand Mm. on critical race theory. And to me, that's a shift from something which is sort of in the culture to something which is being talked about at the highest level of our society. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's worth saying, okay, what does it mean? Because that's the problem is it's sort of lurking, um, under the sort of collective consciousness. It's not so important to like, you don't necessarily have to have a working definition. It's it's sort of something that sounds good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as we mentioned at the end of the last episode, it sort of sounds like, um, critical thinking combined with issues of race, Mm -hmm. which I think are great things. Yeah. But critical race theory is not at all of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, it seems really popular these days for, uh, ideas to have titles that seem to be the opposite of what the ideas are. Yeah, totally. Or or at least lead you to believe that they're not what they say they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like using words like critical and thinking, right. Or, are kind of, uh, kind of misleading in this area. I mean, right. there's a lot of thinking going on, but it's not very critical. <laughs> right. Um, so I thought I would say as uncomfortable as this is, mm-hmm. um, that the Trump administration, I guess last week, uh, instructed federal agencies to end any trainings that using taxpayer dollars, um, that involved trainings on white privilege and critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, in sort of a switch, like that sounds bad. Yeah. Um, like why wouldn't we want to train people on these topics? Well, mm-hmm. because of what these topics are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you sort of read the actual memo that they sent. And I, I really liked this. They said, um, I feel so uncomfortable. Well, okay, here's the, here's the main problem is we have to, uh, we have to like, disregard that this is Trump. So, yeah. So we're not, we're not all advocating for, well, I don't or know, against you, can. Trump. you can't disregard that. Well, you can't disregard it, but I feel like what we're talking, we're more engaged in the idea mm-hmm. rather than who brought this idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was probably more as administration and that kind of stuff. So I just, I just feel like anytime, you know, if Trump does it, then it's just bad. Right. And you know, you don't have to agree with everything that Trump says or does or, Right, but it's just kind of good to also just approach the ideas that are being brought forth, not necessarily who they're tied to. Right, um, and th- who they're tied to also is important, but or has a, has a, has a fact is a factor. Okay, so I'm going to read this memo. It's issued by um, OMB Director Russell Vaught. What does OMB stand for? Do you know Office, Office of, of 
Administrative business. Administrative? <laughs> Office of Administrative Business. Not administrative, but administrative. administrative. Um, okay. So it says, uh, all agencies are directed to begin to identify all contracts or other agency spending related to any training on critical race theory, white privilege. And here's the important part. Or any other training or propaganda effort that teaches or suggests either one, that the United States is an inherently racist or evil country, or two, that any race or ethnicity is inherently racist or evil. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the, I think, the Moton Bailey thing that we were talking about, mm-hmm. which is that training on critical race theory and white privilege sounds like one thing, but then it, it, I think it's, it could be almost hard to understand the jump from that to the United States is inherently racist and evil, and some races are in. Uh, or ethnicities are inherently racist or evil. Yeah. But that really is where you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what these ideas are. Yeah. It's important, I think, to to figure out what they are. Because once you figure out what they are, I, it seems to me like I think most people would think, no, mm-hmm. that's not true. Um, and it seems really important that people don't think that certain races are inherently evil or that our country is inherently evil. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, we are in a really bad situation. So... I think that sets up the importance of why we think it's worth talking about. Yeah, that's for sure. It's hard to, uh, to jump into this though. Mm. Um, so maybe we could start by trying to define what critical race theory is. Well, here's one, one aspect of critical race theory. Uh, it argues as a starting point that the access of American social life is fundamentally constructed in race. So there's this fundamental aspect that, you know, uh, how are to view or engage um, American social life is through the lens of race. Right. And that right there, just just as a starter, is that's what we've been trying to get away from. Yeah. Right. <laughs> for for hundreds of years now, you know. Right. Uh, so it's like, for me, that's just sort of everything else is a non-starter. You know, it's like, um, I kind of want to go, I want to go through the, there's some, so there's actually some really good aspects of critical race theory, but, but the foundations of critical race theory, I just don't agree with at all. Right. Yeah. It's the fundamental, uh, axioms of mm-hmm. the theory that I reject outright. Yeah. So I think that one's worth repeating that the axis of American social life is fundamentally constructed in race. That's a quote from Sherwood Thompson mm-hmm. um, from a book called Encyclopedia of Diversity and Social Justice. And I think it's we, we really have to be really clear on this. <clears throat> like fundamental, like race is at the base of how mm-hmm. we're going to interpret right. all interaction and relationship. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't set off red flags for you guys, then I, I think start thinking about all your different relationships that you have. Can you boil any relationship down to one single factor that determines how you interact with that person? That's a good point. I mean, so it's like, uh, like even regardless of race, mm-hmm. like yeah. any, any single factor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Matt's Irish and, uh, I'm Czech. <laughs> Well, I guess, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, so are you, what other single factors are tall people, short people? Oh, sure. You could play that game yeah. all day long. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, so whatever factor that you're going to use, I mean, we've done that too with uh, Catholics and Protestants, you know? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to look through in, uh, the eyes of a Protestant or a Catholic and, and determine the whole world around me through that one determining factor. Well, that's a little bit more broad, but Um, yeah, but to suggest that race is the fundamental characteristic through which society is constructed and all social interactions are constructed, I really have a hard time imagining how anyone sees the world that way and isn't just poisoned. Their mind isn't just poisoned with toxicity every single day. Yeah. How can you get through a day believing that? Well, we get to those, we get all to all those, uh, um, was it cliches or something like that? All white people are like this. Mm-hmm. All black people are like this, you know, 
that's the thing. It's, it's, it was hard for me. Like I, I, we're going to give us a, we're going to definitely give us a, a, a fair hearing and, and draw out some things. But I think more of the struggle with this is it's super, super, super important that you understand this fundamental principle to critical race theory, because all else falls from this. Mm-hmm. So, so there's some good points in it and there's some things to be critical and to consider. And it's a part of the, um, <clears throat> a part of how we should kind of, you know, look at the world mm-hmm. and, but it's a part. It's like, how does race play in relationships? Does it play a part in relationships? Right. Does that, is it a factor in socioeconomics? Do like race relations among poor people, are they better or worse? Or, you know, it's like, so, using race as a um as a aspect um well i think those are good questions like does race play a part mm-hmm. is it a factor yeah i mean that seems like a question worth asking the but the statement that all social life is fundamentally constructed in that mm-hmm. i reject that outright i just it, it's not at the very least it's not a good way to look at the world mm-hmm um, it's, it's kind of, you get into that Kafka trap area. Oh yeah. Um, but this is where statements, um, like Robin D'Angelo gets the statement that, um, the question in any given interaction is not whether racism occurred. It's how, ha- it's not did racism happen. It's how did racism manifest in this situation? Mm-hmm. So if your core belief is that everything is about racism, then, uh, then that you, you know, that statement makes sense. Yeah. But it seems absurd when when I hear it. Yeah, it's like, did it happen? So if a if a white cop kills a black person, then we just automatically know that race race was involved in that. But it's even more than that. I mean, this this view of looking at the world would would apply whether something negative happened or not. Mm-hmm. So I think it was James Lindsay who. Maybe it was James. I don't remember. Gave the example of um, if there is a white store clerk mm-hmm. and a white customer and a black customer come in at the same time. Under this idea, mm-hmm. if the clerk helped the white person first, it would clearly be racist because it was prioritizing the white person of the black person. But if the white person helped the black person first, it would also clearly be racist because it showed that the white person was concerned about the black person shopping unattended. Mm -hmm. So in this case, it's a net neutral situation at the outset. It's not as if somebody has been hurt or killed. It's just a simple interaction in which you have no choice in which not to be racist. Yeah. Under this worldview. Mm -hmm. So, if the insistence is that everything has, um, everything is constructed in race, then we have to do this analysis, this analysis, which can only end one way. Mm-hmm. And I just think what, like, why are we doing this? Yeah. This is just someone trying to shop someone else trying to just do their job. Yeah. It's the, that's the Kafka trap in the circular reasoning too. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, if this happens because of this and it's just sort of like, there's just no way out of it. And right. Um, so another interesting thing that I read, um, about one of the sort of central tenets of critical race theory. And I, I think we're going to, I, th- the quote that you read at the beginning, and I also, I'd also written that down. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from an article on a website called new discourses, which is, um, a project by this academic named James Lindsay mm-hmm. and there's some other people. Yeah, involved. Helen Pluckrose and um, is she involved in it? I think so. Tangentially, I think all of them are involved <clears throat> in it in some way. But he's kind of, I think, spearheading that project. So James and Helen and this guy Peter Bogosian yeah. did these. Um, what were they called? The uh, um, oh. oh shoot! <laughs> 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 uh, oh. They, 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 I'm trying to use, not use hoax because they, they didn't want to use hoax. It was <clears throat> basically grievance, wrote these type grievance, grievance studies. studies. Yeah, that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. Explain what it was. All right, we I think we've explained this a couple times on the podcast because mm-hmm. it's such a uh, interesting uh, 
thing that they did. Well, basically, they wrote like 10 to 20 papers. Well, I think they got 10 published, but they wrote like maybe 20 papers. And, um, and they were just using the language of a lot of this new uh, postmodern um, uh, uh, verbiage. And basically, what one of the papers they did was they basically wrote, rewrote Mein Kampf and, and oh, right. changed all the words to... What was it they changed it to? They just rewrote it in their own words. In their own words, And yeah. then submitted it to a, a peer-reviewed journal. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of these papers got accepted and published. Yeah. And actually won awards and stuff like that. One <clears> was like dog rape and how they spent like all these hours examining dogs <clears> in the, bo- the dog park and uh, made all these really absurd claims and actually won an award. And uh, anyways, really fascinating I was trying to find the title for that one because it was so good. <laughs> it was really complicated. But that's, that's one of the hard things surrounding all this stuff is there's the verbiage of it is so academic sounding and so yeah. smart sounding. <clears throat> the, uh, the title to the dog park uh, article was human reactions to rape culture and queer performativity at the dog park. Yeah. So, uh, Find a podcast about the grievance studies. It's it's interesting. Yeah, he was on Joe Rogan. Uh, uh, also, the uh, trigonometry also has a good one with him on there. Trigonometry. Yeah, yeah. We'll put those on the, the link. But he's he's ta- he's spoken a lot over the last few years, and he's he's really great. Some of his more recent ones are really great on explaining uh, in better detail than what Matt and I can do right here. But uh, I think he does a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he has a great article on critical race theory. Um, and so some of this, these references come from there, but he made a point that a second sort of core tenant is that it's anti-liberal, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because I think at it, <clears throat> if you just sort of start with its namesake, critical race theory, you would assume, well, this is something that would absolutely be, um, pushed by the left, mm-hmm. but it's very anti-liberal. Um, and I'm not sure whether to interchange liberal for democratic or to make the, the distinction there, but it's different. It's, it's, it, I think that was one thing I needed to like, cause you have liberal and conservative, which is like U S standards of what liberal conservatives, but liberalism is something that I think most, like most conservatives and liberals, uh, kind of, uh, kind of buy into. So I got the definition of liberalism here. Uh, liberalism is a political and moral philosophy based on liberty, consent of the governed, and equality before the law. Liberals espouse a wide array of views depending on their understanding of these principles, but they generally support free markets, free trade, limited government, individual rights, including civil and human rights, capitalism, democracy, secularism, gender equality, racial equality, internationalism, freedom of speech, freedom of the press and freedom of religion. Right. <clears throat> so that's like, yeah, that's <laughs> basically what our country was built on. Yeah. These are the founding principles, mm-hmm. um, the ideals to which we strive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think within that is the idea that race, gender, sexuality, um, other sort of immutable characteristics as well as, um, sort of personal preferences mm-hmm. do not affect your, the way that you are treated under the law mm-hmm. in this country. Yeah. <clears throat> Critical race theory specifically says the opposite. Yeah. It specifically says that the most important thing about you is your race. Yeah. And then under the intersectional landscape, you can add, add more importance based upon other marginalized characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems like another sort of red flag that I reject outright. I don't believe <clears throat> that that is a good idea. Yeah. And critical race theory says, it doesn't say necessarily whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. It says it's the way things are. It's the way things always have been. And, and you can't change it. Mm-hmm. This is the way that we live our lives. And, Apart from not not seeing the world that way in the start, not ever experiencing the world that way largely, um, I think it's a horrible way to see the world. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible way to go throughout your day believing something like that. 
I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the, the white privilege thing is an, an interesting topic as well adjacent to this. And white privilege, I think, arises out of this because mm-hmm. under critical race theory, <clears throat> when everything is about race, um, all white people are racist. Um, and they, oh, there was a, um, another quote that will help back this up. So Derek Bell wrote a book called Interest Convergence Thesis. Or not, maybe that wasn't the book. It was uh, just the name of the thesis. Um, but he makes the point that advances have only been made for black people when it has been in white people's interest to allow them. So because of that, any progress on race relations, re- relations is largely a myth. Hmm. Um, so because, so, so the idea of white privilege arises from this. Um, but really what it says, what this idea says because we are locked into this construct is that, and this is immutable and alterable because it is based on the color of your skin and not anything else Mm -hmm. because of that, it is immutable and alterable. It says, I mean, this is a very racist anti-black idea. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it, it says to black people, white people are better. There's nothing they can do about it. There's Mm -hmm. nothing you can do about it. (laughs) <laughs> another idea that I just reject outright. I think it's an awful idea and absolutely not true. Yeah. I think Robin DiAngelo is getting kind of nailed on that right now as it's starting yeah. to <clears throat> kind of come out and become less, uh, uh, obscure and, you know, it's starting to become more main, well, it's been mainstream for a little while, but I think there's the critical criticism of her on that is, is pretty valid as far as like, you're basically telling black people that white people are privileged and they can't do anything about it, but they can acknowledge it and try to be better whites, but they will always be more privileged. And if they, which is just wrong. So yeah, it's, it's wrong <laughs> just need to say that <laughs> it's degrading to yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. It's demeaning to everyone. Um, and just no, I'm, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. So now we sort of get to where these statements from that memo um, from the Office of Administrative Business. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, so that says we won't allow any training in government that suggests or teaches that any race or ethnicity is inherently racist or evil. It's yes. Like, don't we want that? It's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, I would, I don't, we don't need to make Jews again. Like right. the Nazis did mm-hmm. like how inherently evil they were. It's like, we've, we've done this before. Right. As a species, we've done this, this, that same sort of rhetoric and, uh, calling out, I mean, I mean, slavery for so many years, you know, it's like for hundreds of years, it's like, well, in the United States, um, I mean, we, we've already done that. I just, I feel like this is such a dumb topic to talk about because it's like, no, it's, we've already done this. Right. <clears throat> but we do have to we talk, do have about, to talk it. about it. I know, I know. Because mm-hmm. I mean, and maybe it's even just because the Trump administration put this out. And so yeah. everybody's so against Trump that they're not willing to think critically about anything. Yeah. And they just label anything that he does as racist and bad. So there's mm-hmm. that stance, which is saying, well, you're not allowing us to teach critical race theory because you're a racist. Yeah, you don't totally. want us fixing it. Mm-hmm. But then you actually go look at it and it's like, oh, well, this isn't fixing anything. This is making it worse. Mm-hmm. This is only inflaming race relations. Yeah. So, yeah. and so to me, it sounds like, okay, we're not going to allow any training that says that any race or ethnicity is inherently evil. Because that would be racist. Mm-hmm. T- saying that a race is inherently evil is racist. But that is what critical race theory puts forward. Mm-hmm. So critical race theory is racist. Yeah. Is what it seems to me to be. Well, I think that's the part too. Is like when we, you know, we, we, last podcast we talked about uh, Moton Bailey. And so there's these things that within critical race theory that are tangential that are worth talking about and then they bring it up within, you know, critical race theory. And I think those are, those are really great things to talk about, but again, and then I'm going to keep harping on this, but the basis of critical race theory is that we look through everything through the lens of race. Mm -hmm. 
And it, you cannot forget that right. because all, all the other things that we can talk about that critical race theory does bring up that are, are very interesting and some are applicable, you know, but critical race theory itself is a, is a, um, just a bad, uh, <laughs> bad thing. <laughs> so what are, what are some of the, um, things worth talking about the positives? Well, I think that's something that, you know, well, I think that's something we have been doing since, you know, the, you know, Jim Crow, uh, you know, into slavery, Jim Crow redlining is like when something happens, I mean, even, even in a police shooting, you know, okay, this thing happened, you know, did racism occur here, you know, and there should be some <clears throat> criteria of which we could look at and say, like, Hey, <clears throat> did this person call the other person, the N word or, you know, was there some sort of, you know, verbiage that showed that they were acting towards that person in a racist way, you know? Um, yeah, but you're being, you're being too rational and logical because, <laughs> but that's critical, the thing that was, critical race theory yeah. rejects all of those questions outright to well, begin with. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, but that's the thing is though, it's like, it, you're still looking, you're still looking at a situation and saying, was race a factor in this? So that's what I mean. It's like, that's because I think a lot of people, when they think of critical race theory, they're more looking at it from the watered down version of is race, a, is the race a part of this situation? See, but I'm, uh, yeah. Okay. So if you say that that's the watered down version, mm -hmm. but I think we've already proven that that's not the watered down version. Mm -hmm. That is the opposite of critical race. theory. Yeah, totally. To but, ask whether or not racism occurred is to be squarely and fully outside of the realm of critical race theory. Well, I think, but that's the thing with, again, you know, when we talked about, I think a couple of podcasts ago is like, you know, the person who goes to church versus the person who takes notes in the pew, the, then you have the, the priest and the theologians. It's like, there's a lot of people that just, it just going to church feels good. So things like critical race theory sound good. And that's like probably most people that understand what critical race theory is. And mm -hmm. so when they look at critical race theory, you know, one of the things that pops in their head was like, did racism occur in this space? They might not jump to the next level of which critical race theory starts to is more associated with critical race theory is like, okay, it's not if racism occurred, it's like, how, how did it manifest itself? I, I just feel like you need to draw or we need to draw, or maybe I just want there to be drawn mm -hmm. more distinction between the two because Oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, okay. So this is the this is the Martin, Martin Bailey. Mm -hmm. This is the confluence of two ideas that aren't necessarily related. Totally. I mean, this is the watered down version, I guess, is how you're describing it, is this idea of sort of critical thinking about race relations. Mm-hmm which sounds close enough to critical race totally, theory yeah. to where you think that they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then if you say, if someone says something like, um, it's not, did racism happen, but how did racism manifest in this situation? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, whoa, like racism doesn't have to manifest in that situation. You can sort of retreat to, I'm just trying to think critically about race relations, mm -hmm. but yes. these are not the same things mm -hmm. because the actual core idea of critical race theory rejects the question all altogether. It starts with the answer to that question. Did yeah. racism occur? It doesn't matter what the situation was. Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. As long as there were two people of a, of a different race involved. Yeah. So I think that's the moat in Bailey is like the Bailey is that part where it's like, it's declaring that racism always occurs. It's that statement. The axis of American social life is fundamentally constructed in race. Mm -hmm. That's the Bailey. But whenever you go to approach that, mm -hmm. then they retreat to the moat, which is, well, I mean, you've experienced, you've seen uh, uh, racism before, you know, it's like, or, you know, we Are don't you know. saying racism doesn't ever happen. The racism ever happen. Yeah. Or how do we know that that was not a racist situation mm -hmm. when that white cop did that thing to the black person? And that's a tough question that absolutely should be asked. Exactly. How do we know? Mm -hmm. And, we should pursue that mm -hmm. because I don't think that there's anyone save maybe Richard Spencer that, you know, in some handful of followers there, I don't know what the number is, yeah. but I, I think like, go ask people, 
do you want racism? <laughs> like no one says, yeah, I think so. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's been pretty good for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it doesn't seem. Yeah. It just, uh, yeah. And we have to allow for the idea that racism isn't occurring. Otherwise mm-hmm. our relationships are screwed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise our entire psyches are screwed because we will be constantly under, under living in, in fear and penance to something that we can't even say how or whether or not it's there or how or why. And we're never going to bother to answer those questions. And this is where we get sort of into the realm of a religious idea. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a quote I want to read. Okay. I don't know if I can find it. Oh man. Maybe in a second I'll find it. But basically, um Oh, here we go. Here's, here's one part of it, though. Okay. Uh, critical race theory, writing, and lecturing is characterized by frequent use of the first person, storytelling, narrative, allegory, interdisciplinary treatment of law, and unapologetic use of creativity. And then another part of that is these writers are not reluctant to tell us what critical race theory ought to be. They question the accuracy of the stories, fail to see their relevance, and want more of an analytical dimension to the work. All this while claiming that their critiques will give this writing much needed legitimacy in the academic world. So basically, that's saying that, uh, and this is the the Bell guy from Harvard. Uh, I forgot his first name. Derek Bell. Derek Bell. Uh, he was kind of one of the f- kind of fathers of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. But basically, saying like uh, it's characterized by first person storytelling and narrative. He's writing this. Yeah, his this is in a, a 1995 publication that he he put out. Is I think it was right after the Bell Curve came out by uh, mm-hmm. Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a really interesting article. Uh, but the whole thing is is that the storytelling part is is really um, the valuable part. But if anytime you start talking about well, how do we know this? How can we look at this analytically? in order to test that hypothesis that you're telling me, you might have that experience of this, but is there a way that we can, we can test this hypothesis that it's, that it's happening on a grander scale, you know, even though you might experience something personally, mm-hmm. um, that that's actually, um, that's actually racist to, um, to do that. And, and he's saying, you shouldn't look. You shouldn't ask those questions or mm-hmm. look at the world that way. You should focus on personal, first-person stories. First-person stories and narrative, and um, so that's interesting because you know we spent quite a few months talking about narrative mm-hmm. and, and the importance of it and how there is almost nothing as real as narrative. Yeah. Um, but this, but that position seems to me to be a perversion of the relationship between narrative and reality. Yeah. And we talked a lot about how when narrative and reality uh, divide to a certain amount, Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, something breaks and they have to snap back together. You can't get out of reality. Yeah. You also can't get out of narrative. Mm -hmm. So without the ability within your, within your sort of philosophical construct or your worldview to say is what I'm feeling and experiencing and is my story rooted in reality, mm-hmm. then you find yourself in the land of neurosis mm-hmm. and something's going to break and something's going to snap. That's what that made me think of. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, it's just, it's just a hard thing too, because, um, because you do also don't want to, you have to be careful not to invalidate people's experience because we do totally. know that, you know, racism does occur and that, um, you know, and that 
people experience things and it's your experience of them, you know, and your experience of them matters yeah, totally. to you mm-hmm. more than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. So we have to address that. Yeah. But to a, well, this is interesting. I'm scaring myself a little bit with where I want to go with this, but, <laughs> but it seems very, very misguided and what is the word? I, I, I want to say almost somewhat abusive of people to say, this is your experience and this is what you're feeling. Therefore, that is what reality is. Mm-hmm. And that is true. Um, I think we talked about this, but I, I just think about like what, you know, how do you deal with children when they're experiencing something which yeah. they are fully experiencing? Mm-hmm. This is their reality. This mm-hmm. is what they know their reality to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not based in real reality. Mm-hmm. And so you have to bridge that gap. What is loving to do is to say, I know you're feeling this. And then that's really real and really important. Let me guide you back to where it's safe so that you can start to see that what you're feeling was not based in reality, but it was based in something else. Mm-hmm. That's a healthy way a loving way to be towards someone or even that it's not an absolute. So it's like, if you do experiencing something like, uh, horrendous, you know, it's like, like, a like, uh, a man treats you a woman bad or something like that. And so I was like, all men are horrible. Well, you had an experience with a person, a man, you know, or, or a guy to, uh, a woman. And, you know, it's like, man, all women are like this, you know? Right. It's like, well, that's just not fair to say, attribute that to all women. Well, it's not a healthy, like if you, if yeah. you, if your guy friend comes to you and mm-hmm. just went through a horrible divorce or, you mm-hmm. know, got, um, cheated on or betrayed or something like this and takes this position, which would be understandable. It's mm-hmm. like all women are the, are this way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have anything to do with women. Yeah. You know, the loving position would not to be like, you're right. You should never have another relationship. <laughs> it's only going to hurt you and it's only going to be terrible mm-hmm. and it can do nothing but break your heart and yeah. betray you. It's like, no, the friend who loves that person knows that they're going through that and they're not going to invalidate it, Mm-mm. but they are going to stick around and at some point say, I think it's time to start requestioning that. Mm-hmm. Is that really true? Because I really want you to move on and to find a woman who will love you and, ha- and heal those wounds for you mm-hmm. and show you that this is not the way all women are Yeah, because that would be good for you. So I want what's good for you. So you don't leave the man in that position. Mm-hmm especially don't encourage it. Yeah. You know, even though you might like, you know, the first night or couple nights, like, yeah, let's just go to the bar and, you know, play pool and get drunk and, you know, mm-hmm. bash on women, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like there, there might be something healthy in, in sort of like indulging what that per- person is feeling for a period of time. Mm-hmm. But then that's not the loving friend who stays there. It's the loving friend who pulls the friend out of the lie that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that example just goes across so many areas. I mean, you know, with your kids, it's like, oh, my kid's a jerk or whatever, you know, <laughs> or it's like, no, it's like they were at that time. Right. But that's not who they are. But that doesn't characterize them. Yeah, that doesn't characterize them. Well, this kind of goes back to what, what we've been talking about, about sort of one of the key characteristics of being a conscious being is being caught in between who we are and who we could be. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you remove a higher ordeal, a higher ideal or some hope to become better or more than you are, mm. you die. Mm-hmm. I mean, Viktor Frankl talks a lot about this in man's search for meaning. And, and it's yeah. that as soon as men lose hope, especially in the, in, in situations such as Auschwitz, the, the men who lost hope died the next day. It's the men who somehow retained hope that lived through things that you would think are unlivable. Mm -hmm. So if we remove hope, then we remove reason to live. And this is not just like, Oh, I'm depressed. I don't have a reason for to live. It's somehow like architecturally archetypally built into us is Mm -hmm. that if we remove a reason to live or, or, the possibility of improvement, you, it, you become poisoned by that. 
mentally and then physically. And I, and I, I think that this idea of critical race theory does remove that human potential. It either, it either demands things become stagnant. Right. And that we're just stuck in this groundhog day loop right. of, of racism or it's a power struggle and someone's going to win. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's, I, I don't see there's, there's not really a, an in between yeah. given that. Well, and I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely both. I think that it is the stagnation with mm-hmm. which comes toxicity and poison. Yeah. Um, and in that area, you become restless. Everything's about power. Mm-hmm. And so we sort of get into Ivan Fyodorovich's mm-hmm. idea that without, essentially it's the same idea, is that without, his, his idea was without, uh, if, if, man is immo- if, if man is not immortal, then anything should be allowed to him. Mm-hmm. And so if you are no longer moving forward and improving towards some higher ideal, then it seems to you like anything should be allowed to you because yeah. there's nothing else to be had. Mm-hmm. And look around the streets at what's happening right now. I mean, you look at Seattle, look at Portland, the things that happened in Kenosha, mm-hmm. LA, DC. This is that. This is stagnation, toxicity, poison. And then all you're left with is a power struggle. And so you're shouting and screaming for power and you don't even know what for. Yeah. And this is, I think that this is a predictable result of looking at the world this way. Yeah. If there's no transcendent story, something mm-hmm. greater, like you were saying, or vertical, yeah, something that we're attaining to and also together, you know, it's, I think that's why Martin Luther King, again, we've brought him up a lot, but like, I have a dream, you know, it's like, like there is, he, he just mentions over and over again, you know, about love and about sort of togetherness mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's, it's a journey that we have to be in this together because it's just, it's not just a race thing, you know? There's That's, so many factors involved here that we all need to get together to work on and work through. Yeah. That Westward critical race theory just runs dry so quickly, um, especially if you get caught up into it because it leads into all these other areas that are just as convoluted and and kind of but they all lead the same the same place. It's yeah. like there's no redemption in any of these things. Well, you made a good point that I think is worth talking about for a second, which is that, um, we need that sort of transcendent idea even together. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we've been talking about this idea a lot as it pertains to the individual, mm-hmm. but we also need it as a country. Yeah. And this goes back to the, the first point of the memo, which is that we, we're not going to pay for anybody to teach people that the United States is inherently racist or evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is the United States? It's us. That's what it is. It's not a government. Mm-hmm. It's not an administration. It's not Republicans or Democrats. It's us. It's all of us mm-hmm. that live here, that are citizens here. That's what the United States is. And if we are saying that we are inherently evil, if we're saying first that a certain race is inherently evil, and because that race is inherently evil, all of this is inherently evil, um, then we have the same problem that you do as an individual in which you become poisoned mm-hmm. and you will become that which was a lie to start with it yeah. will become true the more people who believe it it will actually manifest into a true reality and not just something people believe but something that's actually occurring yeah i'm trying to think if we made that point like do we need to flush that out a little bit more because it's it's which point? Well, just the idea of like why it's important to, because you hear the, the, the different narratives. You have the 1619 project and then you have sort of um, the U.S. history that includes the, the triumphs and the failures, you know, and that's something that, you know, we need to, as a nation, recognize our failures as a nation, as well as what we've gotten, what we've gotten right, you know, mm-hmm. or, or even what we are getting right <laughs> continually, you know, it's like, cause it's, it's a quest that we're on, you know, it's like, like we, the people, it's like, 
that we has been is a, is a greater we today than it was 60 years ago. Yeah. It's a greater we than it was, you know, 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Um, so it feels like we're fulfilling that, um, you know, that, that idea of we, the people mm-hmm. are one nation under God un, one nation <clears throat> under this transcendent principle of something greater that mm-hmm. we're aspiring to. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of this in critical race theory and some of these things, it's, it's, it's really, I would say like the, the mantra of it is, uh, one nation divided mm. according to your intersectionality. Yeah. One nation divided. Yeah. One nation divided according to your intersectionality and someone's going to win. Yeah. Someone, not us. Someone is going to win. Yeah. Well, the, <clears throat> I think the predictable result of any power struggle when there is no principle under which you some no shared principle or, or transcendent ideal <clears throat> under which you operate is the battles go from large to small until there's one person left. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing is like, I, I'm just really tired. Like, I, I think it's fine that we can discuss Biden and Trump and, you know, but the, the, the underlying principle is that we are all, from the United States, we're all Americans, you know, and that, that that should be like our uniting principle, right. You know, and that we respect each other and there's this, you know, bill of rights that we have. Um, and there was, we have some really good foundations for that unity as a nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, but somewhere along the line, like we have, we have turned people's silence into violence or if you don't agree with me in this area, you are evil. Mm-hmm. Not that we disagree right. or that, Hey, we have a different opinion here or how, Hey, let's talk about this. Where do disagreements you... become a matter of life and death? Uh, yeah. And you're hearing that language right now. Yeah. This is a, this is a election of life and death. Right. It's like, that's some, that's extreme language. It's extreme language. And it's, it's hard to know whether that's something someone believes is true mm-hmm. or if it's a threat. Hmm. That's interesting. I never thought about the second way, but hmm. yeah, it kind of seems like, like both. Well, it's interesting too. So you and I live in a, a more liberal city. Um, and I just, I just had a call from a friend that lives in more of a conservative city. And, uh, it's funny cause I, I, I find him being a little bit more kind of middle left, you know, and, and just to hearing him talk about like, you know, having a little bit more engagement with like more, you know, Republicans, you know, not right wingers or whatever, but just more staunch Republicans, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and I just found there's a little bit of a frustration on his end, you know, it's like how, like, like I get more, I was like, I feel like if we switched places, we'd have the same frustration, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just cause like, like like neither of us are very extreme in our, yeah. in our views as far as like, I don't consider myself a Republican or a Democrat. And right. he would probably say the same too, you know? Really? Yeah. But he's more left than you would consider yourself. I don't know. I, I right now I have no idea because I'm, I live yeah. in, I think if I lived in a, in a more of a Republican or a, yeah. a liberal, I mean, a, a conservative city, I'd probably consider myself more liberal. Right. So I don't know. So I, I want to encourage people because I found this to be this, what I'm about to say to be very difficult to simply ask questions such as, is that true? Mm -hmm. Has become really difficult, Hmm. especially surrounding. Well, all of the, how do I describe it? All of the important I guess occurrences that have happened really since George, George Floyd. Um, I know we talked a couple of episodes back about this idea of emotional instructions Hmm. that you're, this was an Eric Weinstein quote that when you're, you're, you're constantly receiving a set of emotional instructions, it's sort of this, 
I don't want to use the word subliminal. It's that you see so many things go past you on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and clicking through stories and you're hearing things on the news. You're hearing people talk about things and it's like you're getting an emo set. You're not really getting specific information. Um, you're getting a set of emotional instructions for how you should be feeling about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard to go against that. So very simple things. I mean, I think you and I started something, a journey somewhere towards this conversation directly after George Floyd happened. Mm-hmm. Because immediately the narrative began that black people are being hunted down in the streets by the cops. Yeah, And my initial reaction to that was that's fucking horrifying. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Is that, could, could that possibly be true? Mm-hmm. And I remember asking somebody that mm-hmm. could, could that be true? And I was met with, how could you not believe that that's true? Yeah. You must be a bad person. This was the emotional response. I felt mm-hmm. you must be a bad person for even questioning if that's true. You must be, completely asleep to the racism, completely asleep to your own racism and so complicit in the racist system and have so much privilege because of this, because of the color of your skin that you don't even know this is happening. And I think that's the set of emotional instructions that we were all given Mm -hmm. that have been being doled out, not by any person in particular, but just in general. And so to rewind back to, you know, May 30th, 31st or whatever. And, um, that week. And so I went and started to see, well, how would I answer this question? Is this true? Are Mm -hmm. cops hunting down black people? Um, what's important that that is how it was said hunting down. That's the rhetoric that that is important. You're right. Cause like, it's not that there's a lot of caveats, in there or how, how other ways you could say that, but that was the rhetoric that was being, as long as you use a verificationist set of uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. So if you start with that premise, then you can start finding things that seem to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, but just to ask the question, is that true? Yeah. Even, you know, even if you feel like you should just believe it or it seems completely obvious, mm-hmm. I just want to encourage everyone you need to be able to ask questions. Otherwise you can't learn anything. Otherwise yeah. we can't learn anything. We can't find what is really true. So it might feel really dangerous, but you should ask the question. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of examples to, to, to teach us or ha- we have been taught that lesson. If someone tells you anything, you know, this is, this is what you should believe you know, you should be a Muslim. You should be a Christian. Well, the first thing you're going to do is like, well, what is that? Yeah. What's the story behind that? Mm-hmm. What's the evidence for that? So, I mean, it's, it, it, it kind of just baffles my mind that that's not, it's not an acceptable question to ask. Well, if this was true, what would tell me that this is true? Okay. I've, I've talked to some of my friends and they've experienced racism Okay, so does that mean that you know black people black people are being hunted down in the streets? Well, if that was the case, and there's 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 got to be some deaths happening here. Okay, well let's look at that. You know, so mm-hmm. there's 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 a certain thing that we have to kind of like be critical of, but also listen to people's experiences in those things. Well, it's, it's funny to make you make the the religion analogy there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a really great point because I think it, oddly enough, most people's reaction, if I, you know, if you came to me and said, you should be, uh, uh, why am I struggling to think of religions at the moment? <laughs> a Baha'i. <laughs> you, should, you should be benign. a Jehovah's witness. <laughs> Jehovah's witness. I'm going to be like, you're just going to tell me what to believe. Like, I think yeah. most people's position would be like, you can't just tell me what, thing to believe, mm-hmm. you know, like I'll come to that on my own if I'm going to, because most people have some sense of individuality and like, I'm not just going to believe what you tell me to believe, mm-hmm. but we do seem to be finding ourselves in that position mm-hmm. where we are all, because it, there's so much at stake. If you don't just accept this set of emotional instructions, I mean, this is the Kafka trap, then you mm-hmm. are the worst of those within it. So like you are the evil unless you believe 
what we're telling you to believe. Mm -hmm. And that is why it's so hard to say, to ask a question like, is that true? Um, I, I hesitate to bring this up. So maybe I won't. (laughs) (laughs) That just means you have to now. (laughs) Well, uh, the, the Brianna Taylor case has, um, has been one of the most curious ones to me. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I haven't really, well, I haven't settled anywhere on that one. That one's that was kind of no. Neither have I. I don't think anybody has or can. I don't think there's enough information. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem interesting to me that as recently as yesterday, I saw the narrative continue to be pushed forward that the cops were at the wrong house. They had the address oh, yeah. wrong, and that's been so clearly. Yeah. That's not true. Yeah. So like that aspect of the story, there's a lot of other parts, but that mm-hmm. aspect of the story is not true. Or I would say to Blake, he was there to break up a fight between two ladies. Like, like that also is not true. Also just right. flat, not true. But yeah. to, but to see the narrative with Brianna Taylor this long, I mean, this happened back in March mm-hmm. and people are still saying this and it's so clearly not true, but you know, so, but there's still danger. And somebody says, you know, I can't believe what happened to Brianna Taylor. They were at the wrong house. And, and for you to say, Oh, well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Well, that make it puts you squarely on the side of, well, then you don't believe what you're supposed to believe to be a good person, so you must be a bad person. Yeah. Or and even then, if you don't know any other done. information about it at all, other than right. just that, like, oh, actually, that's not true. And you're not making a statement whether what happened was justified or not, or, right. or, or what, however you also want to go on to that. But I, I don't even want to say in conversations, hey, that's not true. I want to say, is that true, though? Mm-hmm. Like, can we know together? Like, is it possible to know together whether or not that statement, this one part of that statement was true or not? Yeah. Because that does seem to inform some other things, mm-hmm. but that's just a really hard thing to do right now. And I want us, I personally, and I want for you and to everyone listening to find the courage to ask that question when you wonder it mm-hmm. and to not be afraid of looking like an evil person because you're not, you are an inquisitive, um, rational, loving person. I think the loving question to ask is, is that true? Well, that's love. I mean, you want to know the truth. Like, you know, it's like if, if, if your loved one is hurting, you want to know the truth. Like, how can I, like, if, if the, if, if, if there is, if black people are being murdered in the streets by the cops, it's like, I want to know if that's true and how can we change that? What right. steps can we go take to, to change that? You know, it's like, not just, well, let's just defund the police. Like, the, the, just an emotional reaction, but like right. something that is like thoughtful and that we can do together. And, you know, I think that's, that's the part that we're missing. It's just so yeah. emotionally driven. Well, and I think the, the larger point to make is that if, more of us don't find the courage to act out of love in, in pursuit of the truth mm-hmm. than what we were talking about in terms of, of stagnation and power struggle and is only going to spread. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't need even historical examples yeah. to show us where that leads. We've seen it over the last four months. Mm-hmm. More people have died out of this power struggle have been shot, murdered, buildings burned, lives destroyed. Um, That's not even COVID we're talking about. No, it's just it has nothing this. to do with COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is horrific stuff. This will only increase. Mm-hmm. And like, again, back to like the United States, it is we the people, it is all of us. If, if that is happening, I don't care if it's in Portland and we're in Austin, mm-hmm. that's us. Yeah. I don't want that happening to us. Mm-hmm. If, if there is injustice, that is us. I don't want that happening to us. Mm-hmm. So we need to ask questions. We need to pursue the truth in love and we need to have the courage to do that because it really does take courage. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I, I, I think I would have always said that to pursue the truth in love takes courage Mm -hmm. but it seems really clear that that's true these days and i feel it almost every day yeah i feel like we gotta end there because that was just good (laughs) (laughs) that is a positive place to end it yeah Yeah. okay well i think we got a lot of we've got a lot more to do in this area just because 
Um, let's do takeaways from this real quick. Do you, or should we just, uh, just leave it there? Let's leave it. Okay. I will say, um, I'm curious how this hit the listeners, how y'all mm-hmm. are, how y'all heard this, what you think, if you feel like we need to reevaluate, um, some of this or ask questions in, and go deeper in some areas. I, I think, as you said, this this needs to be a longer conversation. It will we'll, we'll keep talking about it, but um, love to hear what you think. Yeah, because it's something that Matt and I are also learning to communicate and get deeper into. Also, because uh, it does seem to be very important to understand um, the basis of some of these things that sometimes sound really nice on the outside and maybe even carry nuggets of truth and goodness. Yeah but the basic premise of those, our axioms are not good or healthy. Like they can only mislead you. They can only mislead you. If we do boil everything down the race, like that is fundamentally not a good thing. Yeah. That's just, that's just true. Yeah. All right. Thanks y'all. Cool. Thank y'all. We'll, uh, (laughs) we'll see you guys next time. Hear you next time. All right. Ciao. Bye.